0: John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter one, verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. For well, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Spirit, we come to your inspired and inerrant word. and We come and we look at it. And as... Uh, We have already asked, being outside, we've already asked that You would enlighten our minds and You would give us strength through this Word. Build us in our, our boldness and build us in our conviction that this is Your truth, God. Pray it in Your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14 some theologians over the years have said maybe the most important verse in the Bible. The most consequential verse in the Bible. Now, and they, they say that knowing that it's really tough because there's verses, even in John, every chapter, very important verses. But this one, John 1:14 is so central to the Christian faith, the central, central to the Christian conviction, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a mind-blowing statement after what John has said in the previous verses about who the word was. we already have covered that. the word became flesh and dwelt among us. just that the word who was with God and was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. John, the Apostle John, is rocking everybody's world. It, we say that about almost all the prophets. When we looked at Daniel, we thought, whoo, Daniel is on fire. And we looked at Galatians, the Apostle Paul, woo hoo Oh, what now? John, he's rocking some people's world. Now, he's speaking, of course, of the incarnation. The incarnation of the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Word. Talking about the incarnation coming in, the, the Word coming into this world in flesh. The incarnation. We think about that Son and. Christmas time, when we we celebrate the birth of Jesus, it's it's really the virgin conception that's the miracle there. And for centuries, people have said of all the miracles in the Bible, including the resurrection, as central as that is to Christianity and as important it is to Christianity, this one is the miracle of all miracles that the Word became flesh. Now we have to keep something in mind always. I'll go back and repeat this all through this gospel. It bears repeating. It's important to keep in mind. But Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, all of the apostles, the apostle John, they are committed to one God and that God is Yahweh. They're committed to Yahweh. Jehovah. They're, they're commit, Jesus has his commitment there. You want to know if there's a God? Should I believe in God or not believe in God? Well, Jesus Christ believed that there was God and his God that he was committed to is Yahweh, that God, that singular God. That The Apostle John, Jesus Christ, they're committed to a singular God, not pluralism, pluralistic gods, that one God. Now that's important to for us to always cling to and to remember, as we're trying to understand words that the apostles are using, because at some points, as we thought about last week, at, at some points it sounds like the apostle John's talking about two gods here. <laughs> or when they talk about the apostles, when they talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, it's sounding like now you're getting into three gods here. No, one God, highly committed to the one very specific God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. That specific God. Now, you and I... human beings can disagree with them or we can agree with them, but that is without doubt their commitment. So that will help us in our interpretation. So here he is talking about the word taking on flesh, talking about the incarnation. Now this, I touched on the fact that the scriptures in the gospel of John we'll see over and over emphasizes the deity of Jesus. God, fully God. Not partially God, fully God has the divine nature. But here, John is emphasizing the the human nature, fully human nature. Two natures, one person. Two natures, one person. This will be very important in our, our study today. Fully divine nature, not dialed down, not setting aside some attributes of God for the Fully, all of the attributes of God in Jesus, the Word, the Son of God, fully human attributes. Fully, what it means to be a human being, are in Him. And so, John is drilling down here on Jesus being in flesh, or the Word, the Son of God, being God, being in flesh that's a problem for some even today over the centuries it's been an enormous problem over the history of the church today in the world we live in it's really more the deity of jesus that jesus is god when you talk about god you talk about the singular god when you talk about the god of the bible talk about yahweh it is jesus christ that one is biblical truth, that is the biblical worldview, and that's the one people struggle mostly with today, although this idea of God taking flesh is certainly, certainly uh, a problem. So he says, the word became flesh. Now that word in itself is a very interesting word. The word became flesh. Notice that John did not say that the word took on a body. He took on flesh. Which means, for the Apostle John, He took on all that it means to be a human being. Psychologically, emotionally, physically. Jesus took all all of that on. The Word took, took on flesh. Which is important because not that He To merely a body, but the immaterial part of what it means to be a human being as well. And we have to be careful, because Bible students will surely recall that the Apostle Paul doesn't put flesh on a very high level. (laughs) When the Apostle Paul talks about the flesh, he's talking about rebellion against God. You're in the flesh. Rebellion against God. The Apostle John is not using flesh that way. Using it differently. So when, when navigate carefully, there's a distinction in the context of what the Apostle Paul is using and what John is using here. So he became flesh, body and soul, and he lived among us. We have seen his his glory. The, the, the attributes, all the perfection of God, we've seen in Jesus. The glory, the glory of God is is this, a, a radiance, something qualitatively different. All. Of We've seen we've seen God in Jesus Christ. By the way, also seeing what it means to be truly human in Jesus Christ. We've seen his glory, and, and glory oftentimes will mean light in the mount of transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, they saw something magnificent. Glory. Here John is emphasizing: we have seen this glory. Glory as of the only Son. Glory as of the only Son. Well, in this incarnation, in the incarnation, it's the addition of sinless human nature. And it is not the subtraction of any part of the divine nature. Fully God coming into the world, taking on a new nature, fully the addition of sinless human nature without the removal of any, there's no subtraction of any of the divine nature. Comes in into the human experience, takes on physical, psychological, and emotional. He comes into the the fallen world that we we live in, but does not share in the the guilt. Consider this in a moment. The guilt of sin. And He doesn't participate in sin. Our participation in sin and our, our, our guilt by association with Adam which is just manifested in our, own, in our own actions. We're sinners on our own part, but we're, that's been passed down to us. We've inherited the guilt from Adam. That's not what it means to be a full, fully functioning human being. A fully functioning human being is not in rebellion against God. <laughs> so Jesus comes the Word of God comes, takes on human nature, sinless human nature, and that is the fullness of a human being. What it means to be a human being, that's why the Scriptures can talk about, and we can talk about, human beings being fallen, fallen from the glory of God, because we're not functioning as human beings ought to function, as human beings were created to function, because in sin, we're in rebellion against God, and we need to be delivered from that situation Only Jesus can do that. We're delivered from that situation to have any taste of what it means to live a truly human life. Jesus comes and He takes on full humanity. Full humanity. In the incarnation, the Word comes, takes on flesh and it's voluntary. It's temporary as as far as His existence on this earth. And it's a self-denial. A self-denial regarding the prerogatives of His divine nature. Temporary in the the sense of self-denial of these prerogatives, not of His human nature. Jesus, the Word, took on the human nature forever to be united in human nature. Fully divine, fully human, for eternity. So, he denies himself these prerogatives. He is God. He is denying himself honor, exaltation, respect. He comes into a world and allows Himself to be subject to the hostility of the world. The hostility the world has to God. The hostility the world has to the light. But He he has that nature. He has the prerogatives to have honor. that, That privilege that only God has. He voluntarily... Sets that aside. Self-denial. So when Jesus talks about self-denying, denying self, denying self and carrying our cross, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he, he's denying self-denial of those prerogatives of his divine nature. setting those. But he, it's not being subtracted from him. It's not like he doesn't have any... Kind of attributes. He has all of the attributes, all of the fullness of deity, but he voluntarily, in self denial, sets aside those prerogatives that he has. Philippians 2, chapter 6 and following says this Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now here in this passage, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippians for them to consider the humility of Jesus because they themselves ought to be showing humility towards one another. Didn't think it was something to be grasped, something to be clinged to, the the, the divine nature equality with God. He didn't think it was something that he would cling to it real tight. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a a servant, a bondservant or a slave, being born in the likeness of men, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that... is above every name so that the at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, every, teen, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus being God has all authority. Remember the, the world is being sustained and, and held up by Jesus. In His divine nature, Colossians chapter 1. The reason things are in order right now is because the Word, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is upholding the world. The moment He does not do that, it will fly apart. He has full authority. But He's coming into a world and denying temporarily is prerogative to exercise that authority now the scholars tell us that in this passage right here here that this is actually a, a hymn that was in circulation and that it's very likely that the apostle paul is under the inspiration of the holy spirit is taking this hymn and using it as a teaching tool for these philippians interesting i i think Jesus comes, he comes in in humiliation, he ends up on a cross, but then he's exalted. This pattern, humiliation, exaltation. Well, the flesh in this context, as I've already mentioned, really refers to the totality of what it means to be fully human. The totality of what it means to be fully human. A holy sinless human being. No human being who's walked the planet has ever experienced Adam before he fell. But before that, or apart from that, flesh in this context refers to the totality. So it's very important. So this week, it was so fun a few weeks ago, I thought I'd I'd bring some more isms. Is that alright? we bring some more isms. Uh, a few weeks ago we had Arianism and Sabellianism and Socinianism. We've got a few more isms. Uh, these are important because they are thoughts, they're beliefs that were confirmed as heresies in the church over the centuries after Jesus. So when the Apostle John is writing He's not writing directly at all of these heresies. But those scholars, those theologians in the past, in our our, our history as Christians, they reached into John and they pulled out of, out of John and they pulled out of Matthew and Mark the Gospels and New Testament, and they, they, they definitively proclaimed what the Gospels teach, what about Jesus and the nature of who. Jesus Christ really is. Now, there was one heresy that was surfacing at about the time John was writing this. It was was in circulation. Jesus had lived, had been crucified, raised from the grave, ascended into heaven. Some decades have passed. John's writing in the late 80s, early 90s, Uh, in that that first century. So there's some belief that was circulating at the time about who Jesus is. And one of the beliefs was Docetism, which taught that Jesus, the Son, the Word, only appeared to be human. But it wasn't actually human because that's impossible for God to be human. Only appeared. Now that grew out of a Greek worldview, where it really looked at the world in two ways: the immaterial and the material, the the body and the soul. And in the Greek mind, the body was evil; it's bad; it's something to be escaped from. The soul is good, and everyone has a soul. and And we're all just waiting to escape the body, get rid of the evil, get out of the evil, and and continue. On. So there's this, this view. So in docetism, in that, that mindset, God, being ultimately perfect, supremely perfect, would never take on an evil body. Couldn't possibly be. Well, listen to what John writes in his letters. First John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, there's that word, Come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already, denying the humanity of Jesus. Second John chapter 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4. through four, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. You get the idea that he's emphasizing. That's, real, that's a real body there. It's a real, real human being that we, we touched. It wasn't just some sort of a ghost or some sort of an image and that we had hallucination that we had. We really touched him. Verse 2. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which, which would that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So that our joy may be complete. So John, it looks like, from his Gospel and from his letters, is emphasizing the fact. He's emphasizing the bodily, that the human nature of Jesus. Now, here, there's an interesting word. I'll just draw it to your attention real quickly. In verse 14, okay, He's flesh and he dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. That is, in the ESV, as of the only Son, as of the only son from the Father. Now that word in, in the, the King James will say the only begotten, the new King James will say the only begotten. But the, the other translations are, are they they're trying to stay away from the idea that Jesus was created uh, uh the, the, the Son of God is a created being. They're trying to stay away from. And the, the language, the, begotten, the the only begotten, it sounds like the only, bo- only physically born son of God and some cults have come and, and they've said, well, the, what, we're looking here and the, the Father must have come and had some sort of physical interchange. With Mary, in order for that to happen, and they say, No, 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 that's a miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit. Not that did not happen, but that, that language, that word has caused some to slip into that only begotten. It's, it's not a wholly familiar word to us, and so some have said, Here in the ESV, as of the only son, the only the only son. It means, that word, that word study, that word means unique. Utterly unique. Without equal. Doesn't have anything to do with being physically born. It's being utterly unique son of God. Now that was a problem, In the Council of Nicaea, they they put it like like this, in the Nicene Creed. And they go go down through it. But they come to this phrase, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. So in the Nicene Creed, if if it was a big enough problem, they needed to put it down for the history of the church to refer to begotten are using that word, but it needs clarification. Not made. Jesus, not, not a created being. Not made. Being of one substance. That's the essence, what I've been emphasizing, the nature. Being of one substance with the Father. So anyway, I bring some isms to you. Not that we all need to be experts on the isms, but it's helpful to know our history and some of the problems that have surfaced concerning the nature of who Jesus Christ is. I think it's immensely helpful to know who it is that you and I are being called to make commitment to. <laughs> It'd be nice to know, actually, who it is that we're being called to step into and make a commitment with our life. Jesus, the one and only unique Son of God. So, the sinless human nature of Jesus is important for some reasons. There are some some reasons that this is important. But before we get there, let me point out that Jesus is now the location where God's people connect with, and discover the wonders of God. Again, going back to one of the words that's used in verse 14. One of the words that's used, and the Word became flesh and dwelt. In the ESV, and dwelt among us. That word means tabernacle. It means pitched his tent. Which when I say tabernacle you immediately think old testament and that's right i think john is intentionally wanting to people to think about their history the tabernacle that's the place where people encountered god and god made his presence known in the tabernacle well jesus now comes and he dwelt among he tabernacled with us with his people in this world. He he tabernacles, he, he, he lives, and John was a witness to him physically li- living with his disciples. So it's the location. Now now it's not a temple that someone goes to, it's not a tabernacle that someone goes to to enter, encounter God, to encounter the glory of God, to, to know who God is. It's Jesus, is where we go to meet God. He's the our connection. He's the place where we discover the, the wonders and the beauties of God. The more we dig in to Jesus. So, recalling something very important to the people of God out of the Old Testament. Now, why is this idea of the human nature of Jesus important? Well, first, first, he is our obedience he 's our perfect obedience. We learn from the scriptures that we need perfect obedience we don 't have it. Jesus supplies it Romans five eighteen to nineteen therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, speaking of Adam, the apostle Paul speaking of Adam. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Adam Jesus obeyed, or Adam failed. Jesus supplies In his human nature. He he supplies the perfect obedience. That is required. That's the required standard by God. To be in fellowship with God for eternity. Secondly. He's our substitute. He's uh, he's our substitute sacrifice. All of those sacrifices in the Old Testament. Pointing towards Jesus. He's the ultimate Sacrifice Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation meaning that he fully satisfied the requirements of God. He satisfies the requirements of God, the Father. He fully supplies that, that sacrifice being perfect. If if the word of God had not come, God had not come into our world, In humanity, as human. Well, he wouldn't have, he couldn't have been identified with us. He's something other. Maybe God, but something other. He comes into the world in perfect obedience, he comes into the world as what it means to be fully and completely and perfectly human. He comes in and and obeys and He can be our sacrifice because He's identifying with us as what it means to be a human being. Which is different than goats or bulls or all of these other animals, which God requires a blood sacrifice. We'll see this in later weeks. It requires the blood. There's, There's no forgiveness of sin apart from the blood. But whose blood? Need to be like kind. A human being, but a perfect human being. So God comes. Now, Jesus had no part of sin, as I've stressed before, sinless. If He had that, then He would have been like any other sinner and died in His sins and would have saved no one. Perfect obedience substitute sacrifice and he's the one mediator being god and man he's the singular one the unique one that can represent human beings before god and he brings god to human beings so we can see and identify and come to understand better who god is First timothy chapter 2 verse 5 for there is one god and there is one mediator between god and man the man christ jesus people all over in the world today, thinking they can grasp on to some other mediator. There is no other mediator concerning the Most High God. He sets the standard. There's only one way to God, this mediator. So Jesus is also in His perfect, sinless, human nature. He is our lifestyle example. He's our example for prioritizing the things of God, which I stressed last week. Jesus prioritized the things of God. As human being prioritized the things of God. He prioritizes the word of God, quotes the Word of God, has studied the Word of God. He prioritized prayer, prayer to his heavenly Father. He He prioritizes living by the Spirit. So he he gives us this perfect example of what it means to live as as a human being. John would say, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. God comes into the world to unworthy sinners. And... Jesus opens His arms to unworthy, hostile sinners, grace. And He also comes with a message of warning for those who would not repent and turn to Him and turn to God. There's, there's truth in what Jesus is bringing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Ephesians 5, 1-2, Therefore be imitators of God. As beloved children, well, how do we do that? We have to have something to imitate and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He displays the the perfect moral character of of God. Whatever God expects of human beings, that's reflected in Jesus. It's, It's made known in Jesus. Last word that the Apostle John uses in, in this, this passage, he has made him known. The word that underlies that English word known is where we get the word exegete or exegesis. In teaching or in preaching, exegesis is the activity of making something known, making something understandable. Jesus exegetes God. So He displays that moral character and He also exposes wickedness. Perfect light. The glory of God. The way John would say, the glory of God. Glory as of the only Son of the Father. Full, full of grace and truth full of love, full of compassion. And when that light comes, it exposes wickedness. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil and everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. He exposes wickedness. Just as a quick reminder, the divine nature of Jesus. Why is it important for us to hold on to that truth, the divine nature of Jesus, fully divine? Well, Jesus absorbs the full, infinite wrath of God. Finite creatures could not stand. Could not could not exist. Could not do it. Could not take on the full weight of the wrath of God. For all of the people who would ever believe in Jesus Christ, all of that sin takes it on because He is infinite God. He has infinite ability to take that sin on. God is infinite God. No limit to God. So when we sin against God, there's no limit to the sin. It's not, it's not like I sinned against 25% of God, but the other 75% is still cool. No, it's infinite. The sin, the, the ripple of that the sin goes infinitely. Without the infinite sacrifice, we have no sacrifice. Only God can save sinners. Salvation is of the Lord. Human beings don't save. If there's one message in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is that human beings are incapable of saving ourselves. Something outside of ourselves needs to enter in to bring salvation to ourselves. Salvation is of the Lord. Only God can save sinners. Therefore, God needs to come. The fullness of God, not partiality of God. Once again, the fullness of God. God in His fullness, in all of His attributes, coming into the world, Him doing this work. And only God can represent sinners before God. Who has the right to stand before God? Concerning our judgment. That your, your eternal life, your eternal destiny, who has that right to, to be in the throne room of God as our representative? There are many in the throne room in Revelation, but as our representative, as the one that we're hanging our hat on, we're depending upon for our eternal life, God Himself, one with the very nature of who God is, representing us to God, being able to be there and communicate face to face, if you would, to the faith, to the to God Himself, representing human beings. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He goes on to say the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, He has made Him known.